Hey neighbor, I appreciate you stopping by. It's a great evening tonight. Fall's in the air. Won't be long. It'll be Christmas time. But hey, pull up a chair. I'll run inside the house and get you a cup of joe. I'll be right back. The place? The village of the Valley of the Holy Spirit, Margarita Island, Venezuela. The purpose? A partnership with Central Cristiana Casa de Alabanza, a vibrant Christian church located in the city of Polomar, located just southeast of the village. The people? Two teams focused on evangelistic outreach to the city. The partnership came about as a result of Casa de Alabanza's spiritual concern for the village of the Valley of the Holy Spirit because it is the seat of real modern-day idol worship for South America. There on the plaza surrounding the beautiful Basilica of Our Lady of the Valley, merchants sell all sorts of figurines and statues of the Virgin Mary. The items sold are not just pieces of art to venerate the Virgin Mary, but are idols of the Virgin Mary deemed to have real power to bless and protect those who possess them. At the outset of my work there, I talked to the church teams to point out to them that the statues and figurines did not in fact have any real power. I made this point because I did not know if the people had the same understanding or if perhaps there were some at the church who themselves were superstitious and personally believed that the idols did in fact have real power. My teaching to the church that downplayed the meaning and importance of these idols plays a key part in the story later. The village of the Valley of the Holy Spirit was built around a small town square. The basilica was on one end of the square. Right in the middle of the square was a statue of Simon Bolivar, the person Hugo Chavez, who was dictator of Venezuela at the time, had deemed to be the liberator of all South Americans from what he called colonialism. In other words, the impact of the capitalism and culture of the West, which was in diametric opposition to his Marxist mindset. Casa de Alabanza had been working for a solid year on this special week of evangelistic outreach to the city. At the very beginning of their preparation, they had gone to the reservoir that provided water to that village and symbolically poured a jar of oil into the water to symbolize their prayer that the Holy Spirit of God will permeate all the lives of that village. My team started out at the corner of the town square on the opposite end from the beautiful basilica. Sitting on the park bench that faced the road that came into the city were two old men. My translator introduced us to the men, and we found out that the man on the left was a 70-year-old man named Paul, and on the right, an old 80-year-old man who identified himself as a communist. I explained to them why we were there in the city, talking to people about how they can know that they have eternal life. The communist was not interested in our message and took the newspaper in his hand and slapped it and said, my newspaper says that you Americans are very rich. I told my translator to tell him, I won't believe everything my newspaper tells me about Venezuelans if he won't believe everything his newspaper tells him about us Americans. The communists thought that the statement was funny and started laughing. Paul, the man on the left, was interested in the message of salvation we had to share. He told us that he was very sad because his wife, whom he had been married to all his life since a young man, had recently died of cancer. He missed her deeply and his eyes were filled with tears as he spoke of her. It's interesting that he was not ashamed to admit that he was lost and wanted to be saved in spite of the resistance of his communist friend. Right there on that park bench next to the obstinate communist on a beautiful midsummer Venezuelan morning, Paul prayed and asked Jesus to forgive him of his sin and give him the gift of eternal life. That special moment launched a day of people passing from the darkness of sin into the light of eternal salvation. We were on a roll. 
Our team of people consisted of several people, including me and my translator, Idelma, the wife of the minister of evangelism of the church. She and her husband were the chief planners of the entire effort to the village and a volunteer woman who provided our transportation. We made our way around the square, encountering receptive people all along our path. After we visited the basilica on the other end of the square, we made our way north up the Autopista El Valle, a two-lane, no-shoulder road that had fast-moving cars in both directions. As we made our way up the road, not really knowing what was up ahead, we saw a girl headed in the same direction as us, but on the opposite side of the street, walking straight into oncoming traffic. I asked my translator to call out to her and get her attention. She was ahead of us and could not see us and seemed to ignore us. I asked him to call out to her again. She still gave no response and kept walking. I asked my translator to get up ahead of her and get her attention. She finally responded. My translator told her that we would like to talk to her. She was a little apprehensive at first and finally crossed the busy road to join us as we walked. We came to a split in the road that had a tiny park with some trees and a park bench in the middle of that little split. We went to the park bench and I sat down with her and started talking. We found out that she was German but was also fluent in Spanish. We asked her where she lived and she said we passed her house back down the road. I told her I did not notice any house on the road. She said it was the one behind the wall on the left. I told her that I thought the building behind the wall was something like a fire station. It was huge. It was a large two-story building that resembled an American fire station. She said, no, that's my house. It's interesting to note that she stayed with us and walked past her house and allowed us to share the good news of Jesus with her. The 15-year-old girl bowed her head there in that tiny park and prayed and asked Jesus to forgive her of her sin and give her eternal life. As she finished praying and asking Jesus to save her, a gust of wind picked up and a large branch fell from the tree and landed with a hard thud next to her on the ground. It startled all of us, and I lifted up my head from the prayer to see what the noise was. A side note, throughout the evangelizing work we did on the mission trips to Venezuela, many of our teams experienced the same occurrence of the rushing wind at the point of people praying to receive Christ. It was like something right out of the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, we saw many things occur on the trips to Venezuela that were just like the movement of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. The oppressive darkness of Hugo Chavez's communism and his regime lay heavy on the people, and the spiritual darkness was great. When the truth of salvation and the light of life was received, the Spirit of God was manifesting himself in very overt, powerful ways. As we lifted up our heads, being startled by the thud of the tree branch, I realized a woman in hospital scrubs was standing right next to me. And I mean, she was standing right next to me, close enough to hit me in the head with her hand. And she did not look happy at all. She had a look of what bordered on anger. I thought, "Uh uh-oh, here it comes. I thought she was angry because she saw us praying with the girl. Keep in mind, I was sitting there in a communist country, openly evangelizing. I asked Adelma, the host minister's wife, to ask her what she wanted. She said she wanted us to come and talk to her and the others with her. I asked her where she was from. She said the clinic up the street. I asked her what clinic. She pointed up the street. I did not recognize anything that looked like a clinic. She said that if we would just keep walking up the street, we would come to it on our right. So the woman in the medical scrubs left, and we wrapped up our discussion with the German girl. When we found the clinic, we entered and looked around to see if we saw the woman. She was nowhere in sight. Edilma said that she was going to look for her. With that, in great boldness, she went down the hallway out of sight into the clinic. A few minutes later, she came out with four women following her, all of them in scrubs. They sat down in the reception area, and the woman I had met in the park said that she wanted me to tell them what I know. I was absolutely blown away that the woman had been driven out of the clinic by the Holy Spirit of God and directed down to the tiny little park in the split in the road and stood next to me and told me to come talk to them. There had been no pre-contact, no public promotion of our existence or our purpose. Yet she knew. 
Then, to bring the other women out to hear the message of salvation publicly, they're in a communist government's health clinic while they were in the middle of their workday was miraculous. They all listened patiently as I told them the story of Jesus and the salvation he offers to them. I asked them if everything I said made sense to them. They said yes. I asked them if they would like to receive the gift of eternal life, and they all said yes. So right there in the reception area of the clinic, they bowed their heads and asked Jesus to save them. It was amazing. As we left that clinic, we were pumped with excitement over the fact there had been such a large number of people that day saying yes to Jesus, and that God's Holy Spirit was manifesting Himself in such an overt way in those spiritually dark places. God was blessing the plans and work of Casa de Alabanza. The next morning, our team decided to drive straight through the town square of the village of the Valley of Holy Spirit and straight to that next village where the clinic was located. As we reached the park, we looked for the clinic and some places we had noted we wanted to go back to. There is no other way to explain our inability to locate the places we had noted the day before other than a spiritual blinding that God placed on us. We were all baffled as to what was happening. We could not find the locations we'd marked out the day before that were to be our starting point. So Julie, the volunteer driver, just started driving. At one point, she went further into the village and got stuck in a snarl of cars where she could not move. In Venezuela, the cars pretty much go and do as they please. Traffic laws don't seem to apply. By the time she backed out of the situation, she was emotionally flustered. New cars are very expensive in Venezuela, and she was bothered that her car might get wrecked. So she drove down a side street that was clear of cars. We drove past a large metal-covered play top that had basketball goals and about 50 kids playing. I asked Julie to stop, that this would be a great place to start. She saw no parking place and just kept driving. I asked if we could turn around and go back to where all those kids were. She just kept driving. Edelma was coaching Julie to stop. Julie took a left turn and started down a narrow street further back into a remote neighborhood area. She turned the corner, and we were on a very narrow residential street back away from the main activity of the village. From a safety standpoint, I was a little concerned. Finally, Edelma told Julie, just stop the car. So Julie stopped the car. We got out right there and started to approach the first house, which was at the very end of the street. We stepped onto the sidewalk in front of the small house. Someone whistled at us. I ignored the whistle and was headed into the front door. My translator, Alfredo, said, Kenny, that man down there wants us to come to him. I said, where? He said, down there where the guy is whistling. I looked down the street and saw a guy wearing a white sleeveless tank undershirt sitting in a chair on the sidewalk, motioning for us to come down. It made me feel very uncomfortable. I told Alfredo, no, we're not going down there. We're going right over here and talk to whoever lives in this house. We knocked on the door and a very old man answered. We explained to him what we were doing. He invited us in and prayed to receive Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord. After the starting confusion and the car crisis, we were on a roll. We left the house, made it to the sidewalk, and the man started whistling again. I was beginning to get concerned for our safety. Then Alfredo said, Kenny, it is the communist. I asked where. He said, down there, and pointed to the whistler. I said, I don't see the communist. Alfredo said, he's sitting next to the guy who's whistling at us. I looked back at the whistler, then the communist leaned forward and smiled. I found it odd that the communist, who the day before was the first person we encountered at the entrance to the town square of the village of the Valley of the Holy Spirit, was now there waiting to receive us. The communist knew by my earlier resistance. I was bothered. To throw him off, I told Alfredo, when we get up to the communist, tell him I have been looking for him everywhere. Alfredo told the communist what I said. He thought it was funny. I then asked him, what are you doing here? And he said, this is what we do. I asked him again, what are you doing here? He replied, this is what we do in Venezuela. We sit on the sidewalk and talk. I asked him, where do you live? 
I thought perhaps he lived maybe back down the street where we had just come from. He said, over there. And I said, down the street here? And he said, no, just over there. He then changed the subject and asked me what we were doing here. I told him the same thing that we were doing the day before at the town square where I met him. He asked me how it was going. I told him we were seeing a lot of people become Christians. The whole circumstance of the encounter bothered me, and I decided I wanted to keep moving, get on down the street, and talk to the family I saw sitting on the next corner with several kids out playing. We talked to the family. They all prayed to receive Jesus. By that time, we needed to start heading back to the car to meet up with the rest of our team in the Valley of the Holy Spirit. As we walked past the communist, he asked us if we were coming back tomorrow. I said yes. Then he said, I will be back at my bench at the square. I'll see you there. As we walked back to the car, we were excited that the obstinate communist was evidently softening and softening up to the message we were sharing. At that time, it appeared that God had orchestrated the communist movement from one village to the next and into my pathway both times. Julie drove us back to the town square in the Valley of the Holy Spirit to meet up with our team. We all met on the square at the communist corner. We shared all the cool things we'd seen God do that day. People continued to talk. I told them I was headed back to the car that I was tired. Julie had parked the car halfway down the center of the square across from the statue of Simon Bolivar. As I approached the statue, getting ready to turn right onto the sidewalk to the car, an Anglo man and woman passed me, cutting diagonally across the square. As they passed, they nodded at me, and the woman in perfect English said, How are you doing? I turned to speak and said as they passed, Are you American? She turned back and answered me and said, No, she was German. Her husband kept walking. I introduced myself. She asked me what I was doing there. I told her that I am a Christian and that we were there talking to people about how they can know for certain that they have eternal life. I was leading into a conversation to witness to her to tell her about Jesus, and she replied, I too am a Christian, then said, I'm a Christian, but my husband is not. She asked me how it was going. I told her that it was going great, that we had seen over 60 people pray to receive Christ. She said, I don't believe you. These people will never change. I told her, no, these people really are changing. I asked her what she was doing here. She said that her and her husband were in precious gems and metals. I asked her how it was going. She said no good, that they were leaving Venezuela. She said the Venezuelans had no money and not interested in spending. I asked her where she lived. She described the house where the 15-year-old lived. Then it hit me. I couldn't believe I'd missed it. I asked her, was that your daughter we talked to yesterday? She said yes. I asked her if her daughter had told her what she had done, how she had prayed to receive Jesus as her Savior. We always coach people to start talking to others about Jesus immediately. The girl had done what we asked. The German woman said yes, that her daughter had told her. She asked us if we were coming back to the city tomorrow. I told her yes. It seemed odd to me at the time that the German woman knew who I was and that I had talked to her daughter and led her daughter to Christ. Normally, if you are a Christian and your 15-year-old teenage daughter asks Jesus to save her, you would be ecstatic, especially if you then encountered the person whom God had used to reach her. The mother was not excited and said nothing in the way of appreciation about the encounter. That night, I had a dream that woke me up about two o'clock in the morning. It was a dream of a dog and a cat fighting, turned in on each other like two intersecting grand pianos, the way animals do when they are in an intense fight. Their teeth were bared and they were snarling and biting. When I woke up, the Lord told me that the couple I knew that were having a terrible time in their marriage were not going to make it. They were going to divorce. In phone conversation to my wife later, I found out that this was in fact the truth, but she had not told me while I was there on the trip um, because she didn't want to ruin my trip. Then, after the Lord talking to me about this couple that would divorce, he spoke to me and told me that what I had said to the people of Casa de Alabanza was wrong. 
that I had minimized the idolatry of the statues and figurines of the Virgin Mary. He told me it was serious and it was at the core of evil that was there in that village. He told me that by leading over 60 people to real faith in Jesus Christ, we unknowingly had attacked their religion, their livelihood, and the economic strength of the city that they enjoyed due to the tourism and the pilgrimage that people made to that place to buy those idols, and we had attacked their civic pride and the fact they garnered so much attention from South America as a whole. In other words, we shook up their entire support structure and system. The Lord went on to warn me that the communist and the German were demonic sentinels triangulating on our coordinates, and that if our teams returned to that town square in the morning, that there was going to be violence and they were going to hurt us. The communication in my mind from the Lord was so overwhelming, I could not ignore it. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not in saying that the German and the communists were demons. What I am saying, in fact, is that they were people under the influence of the devil, and they were in intersecting me and talking to me so as to ascertain where we were going to be in order to plan to do evil to us. It was an overwhelming statement that the Lord made to me in my spirit in the middle of the night, no question. As soon as we got to the church the next morning, I called the American side of my team together and told them what God had told me in the night. I was not sure how it would be received. One of the older women said, Kenny, as our leader, if God has told you that we're going to encounter violence, then we do not need to go and you need to speak up. I then talked to my translator, Alfredo. When I told him what had happened, he inverted it and with great confidence said, yes, Kenny, we must go to the people of Holy Spirit Valley and share with them the good news of Jesus. Though I got no affirmation from Alfredo regarding canceling the trip, I was compelled to tell the people. I knew by canceling a year's worth of work, that church's work, that I would be in jeopardy of being sent home. I called the people of Casa de Alabanza together. I told them what I have just told you. Idelma, the minister of evangelism's wife, one of my team members, she raised her hand in the silence. She said, let me share with you what the Lord told me last night as I read my Bible in the book of Acts. And she read from the book of Acts chapter 19. Starting in 21, it says, after these events, Paul resolved by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. After I've been there, he said, it is necessary for me to see Rome as well. After sending to Macedonia two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who had made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. When he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, Men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hand are not gods. Not only do we run a risk that our businesses may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificent come to the verge of ruin. The very one all of Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed all together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Although Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. Even some of the provincial officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent word to him, pleading with him not to venture into the amphitheater. Some were shouting one thing and some another because the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some Jews in the crowd gave instructions to Alexander after they, after they pushed him to the front, motioning with 
with his hand, Alexander wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. She then said, God told me if we go back to the city today, there will be violence and we will be hurt. The entire room erupted in praise before God because he had shown up in miraculous ways both in the salvation of people's souls and our salvation from impending harm. Friend, do you see and know that God is at work all around you and he is still working miracles today? At times his present may not be as overt as the mission trip to Venezuela, but I assure you he is very much at work. When you and I are in compressed places of darkness and most dependent on him, he shines forth like the noonday summer sun. These times we we live in are hard for a lot of different reasons. With an attitude of great optimism, I still can tell you these are really dark times. And the cool thing in the midst of the difficulties is this. If you will stop, look, and listen, you will see the miraculous occurring in your midst. In light of the fact that this is still God's world, you and I will be blessed to see His hand at work, just like in those early days in the midst of that agitated, emperor-controlled, pagan Roman world that we hear of in the book of Acts. From the outside looking in, it had all the appearances as the last place you would want to launch the world-changing, commissioning of the church to go into all the world and make devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But that is the way the God of creation rolls. Hey friend, you've been listening to Guat Rocks, God, the world, and other things. I've been your host, Kenny Price. Thank you so much for joining in the podcast today. My prayer is that you will be inspired to move forward with great confidence in the midst of difficult times and see God do great things in your lives and in the lives of those around you. If you can, friend, take just a moment to do all that's necessary to help promote this podcast by inviting your friends to listen in. Give us a shout out, give us a click, give us a thumbs up, whatever it takes in the platform that you're in digitally to help spread the word of this amazing time with God, I was sure appreciated. And keep in mind that God is for us and who can be against us. And with that, dear friend, I bid you peace.